You know, there's a lot of talk today about making America great again. But I'll tell you, if America's going to be great, America's got to be good. And America can't be good without the gospel. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Well, prepare to be edified today, prepare to be built up, prepare to be strengthened, prepare to be stretched, prepare to be challenged. This is Michael Brown. Welcome to The Line of Fire, your voice of moral sanity and spiritual clarity in the midst of a society all too often in chaos and a church all too often in compromise. We'll be talking about making America godly. Can we say making America godly again? be talking about today, but phone lines are open. You can weigh in on today's subject matter. Has America ever been godly? Can we say in the past we've been a godly nation? Can we say make America godly again? Is there even truth to that? Is it possible to see America turn to godliness? We'll be talking about that. You can weigh in 866-348-7884. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Or, or if there's another question, Unrelated to our topic that you'd like to raise today, we will be taking a wide range of calls. MAGA, make America great again. That has been a major theme of the Donald Trump presidency. We're used to seeing people wearing the hats, make America great again. And by the way, the hats in and of themselves are perfectly fine to me. I don't believe the the message is racist or bigoted or nationalist in a negative sense of the word. I have no problem with that whatsoever. But for me, when I see MAGA, I, I began to tweet about this in 2017. I began to suggest that our message should be make America godly again. Others were saying the same thing again. In other words, we can only be great If we are good, we can only be great. If we are good, we can only be good with God. Now, since I began to say that and others began to say it before me, there are now Make America Godly Again t-shirts. You can get the paraphernalia. Make America Godly Again. Or there are the Make America Godly Again hats. So if you want to wear a MAGA hat, you can wear a MAGA hat that says Make America Godly Again. I'm looking at one that then has 2 Chronicles 7.14, the famous repentance message there. But but let's step back and think about this. Number one, has America ever been godly? Well, it's sure been godlier than it is today. It has sure been more biblically based than it is today. It, It has surely been more moral than it is today. It has certainly been more innocent and family friendly than it is today. There can be no question about that. If you go back to the colonies, and I documented this in my book, Saving a Sick America, 1647, the Old Deluder Act, one of the colonies passed the rule that when you had a certain number of people in your community, you had to have a school. Why? To be sure that people could read. Why? So the kids could read the Bible. 
And they said, look, the old deluder, Satan, kept the Bible from us in the past. It would not be in the language of the people. So people couldn't read it. Now we have it in English. Are we learning English so we can read? So schools were established so children could learn to read the Bible. That's how fundamental it was. You say, yeah, but but we've we've had slavery since our founding. Yeah, slavery was part of the way of life of Europe. That was part of the evil that started in our country. But there was always opposition to it from others in the colonies and among our founding fathers. And then because of its godlessness, because of its evil, within a century of our independence and at the cost of a bloody war, slaves were liberated. In other words, the godly foundations of America pushed back against the yoke of slavery and ultimately cast it off. In short, America can't be great again unless America is good again. America cannot be good without the gospel. Now, there is a quote widely attributed to Alexis de Tocqueville. He was a famous French philosopher, historian, came over to the States in the 1830s and wrote about this. And it's disputed whether he said these words or not. But if he didn't, another contemporary did. And they reflect sentiments he recorded elsewhere. Listen to what he said. I sought for the key to the greatness and genius of America in her harbors, in her fertile fields and boundless forests, in her rich mines and vast world commerce, in her public school system and institutions of learning. I sought for it in her democratic Congress and in her matchless constitution. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. Wow. Now, again, we're not sure if de Tocqueville actually said those words. If not him, then another contemporary said those words. But I'm, I'm looking at words that he, he did speak. For example, he said, Upon my arrival in the United States, the religious aspect of the country was the first thing that struck my attention. And the longer I stayed there, the more I perceived the great political consequences resulting from this new state of things. He also noticed how bookseller shops contain, quote, an enormous quantity of religious works, Bible sermons, edifying anecdotes, controversial divinity, and reports of charitable societies. He spoke of visiting people in log cabins whose only book was the Bible. So these are foundations on which our nation was based. It's not a matter of imposing a theocracy. It's not a matter of trying to elect clergy to rule over the nation and impose Christianity, impose the Bible on the nation. That would be a disaster, and I would stand against that. It is a matter of saying, to the extent we go back to biblical principles, to the extent we go back to gospel principles, to the extent we as believers live as believers— to the extent we share the gospel with those around us who don't know the Lord, to the extent we live out the principles of the gospel and love our neighbors ourselves, to that extent we will be blessed. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. That is true of every nation on the planet through all time. So I've got nothing against saying make America great again. Again, I don't believe that that's racist or bigoted or nationalist in a wrong sense of the word to say that. Our country is an important country. It remains a, a land of endless opportunity and endless optimism. That's why people come flocking here from around the world. That's where our universities are filled with some of the smartest students in the world. That's where our business and technology is helping the quality of life, helping people all around the world. 
but we're also exporting sin and junk and doing a lot that is harmful and negative. And we have had greater days as a nation. So yes, make America great again. But how about we as the church emphasize, make America godly again. And when you see the the red hat, how about thinking of the blood of Jesus? Because that's the hope of America, that people are cleansed from sin on an individual level, that they turn to God and that through the blood of Jesus, we have a new start as individuals and we have new life and new hope as a nation. MAGA, make America godly again through the blood of Jesus and through the gospel. All right, I've said my piece, 866-34-TRUTH. And uh, before I go to your calls, let, let me let me just read a quote to you from Samuel Adams, one of our founding fathers. He said this, a general dissolution of principles and manners will more surely overthrow the liberties of America than the whole force of the common enemy. While the people are virtuous, they cannot be subdued. But once they lose their virtue, they will be ready to surrender their liberties to the first external or eternal, or excuse me, yeah, external or internal invader. I think that's a typo. There should be internal. Surrender their liberties to the first external or internal invader. So when we lose our virtues, we lose our liberties. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let's start in Florida. Daryl, welcome to the line of fire. Oh, I have an answer. Hello. Yes, sir. Can you hear me? Go ahead. Go ahead, please. Uh, Mr. Brown, um, your, your topic is uh, making America godly again. Mm-hmm. But as I, as I read the Bible, you know, I'm trying to follow Jesus Christ and everything. As I read the Bible, I read in certain passages, you know, there's just certain nations that just really got worse before it get better. Mm-hmm. You know, everything that I see going on in the states, you know, the the the, the divide they were going through, like this ideological war, mm-hmm. and these um, laws that are trying to get pushed. This whole political correctness is really just um, pushing for debauchery to basically push through. You know, as far as um, you know, yeah, we're we're definitely uh, headed towards a crash, barring divine intervention. We're heading for massive division and a, and a real moral and spiritual crash. So in the right. natural, we're going in the wrong direction. That's why we've got to be on our faces, crying out to God, repenting of our own sins. And what's interesting, and my latest video, sir, addresses this, is it too late for America, which is viewed over half a million times already on YouTube since it came out a couple of weeks ago. But for sure, we've had dark times before where it looked like it was over for the church in America or it was over for our society. And God's people got desperate, cried out to God, sought him in prayer and fasting, and God had mercy and sent us revival and awakening. But, but that, that's our only hope. Otherwise, we're really going to have a serious crash within the next generation, for sure. Oh, okay. That part I did not know, because I was under the assumption that maybe America's not going to get better. Because I, I'm, I'm looking at the picture of you know, Jesus Christ coming back, you know, like yeah. just straight up the end time. That's what we're living in. And I was yeah. just thinking, maybe it's not going to get better. It's just going to well, get it, so it, bad that once right, it hits this tipping point, Jesus 
boom, Jesus is here. That that could be. In other words, we we could crash before Jesus returns, and he he comes in in the midst of the rubble. But on the flip side, uh, when I got saved in seventy one, we were told Jesus was coming any minute, and and that was the time of the Jesus. Re- excuse me, Jesus Revolution, which swept across America and the world. That's when I got saved. Uh, and, and many people in past generations thought they were living in the last generation, and they weren't. So we don't know that we're in the last generation. There could be a generation after us or 10. We don't know. The other thing is, is this. What about the fact that the Bible speaks of a great harvest at the end of the age? What about the fact that it speaks of the fullness of the nations and even Israel turning? Meaning there's going to be great darkness But what does it say in Scripture? In the midst of the darkness, great light will shine. So we don't know exactly what's going to unfold in the days ahead, but we know that we're responsible for our generation. We can get on our faces and pray and fast and cry out. Check out the video, Daryl. You've got great questions. Check out the video, Is It Too Late for America? AskDrBrown.org. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on the broadcast, 866-34-TRUTH. Do we have any hope of making America godly through the gospel? Is, is it right to speak of making America godly again? Now, listen, we have never been a perfect Christian nation. Never. We have never been fully godly. No nation on the planet ever has been, including Israel at its best, was never fully godly. All right? We understand that. We have been a mix right from the start. Fully understood. And until Jesus comes, every nation will be. But have we been godlier as a nation overall than we are today? Many ways the answer absolutely yes. In that sense, can we make America godly again only through the gospel? I say, yes, maybe we could be godlier than we've ever been. Maybe we can take some of the progress over the generations and, and, and reverse some of the regress over other generations and, and see our best years ahead. But it's only going to be with divine intervention. Otherwise, we are, as we just said to the previous caller, heading for a crash. Uh, let's go over to Charlotte, North Carolina. Brian, welcome to the line of fire. Hey, how you doing, Dr. Brown? Very well, sir. How about you? Doing great. Um, I just wanted to call in and um, speak 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 to you regarding this because yeah. um, I really do have a vision and trust in our country and where we can go and how we can correct our wrongs because I feel like that if we take a stance as Christians, we can make this country godly. Mm-hmm. But my only thing is that when we say once again, once again. As an African American, I don't want to make this racial. So please, don't, don't. I don't want to make this. I know it's going to sound like that. My main thing is that we can get it there, but I the the again thing is when we were Christian, it was still so hard against you know the African Americans here. Now, excluding that, I see. America has stand, taken a stance, and that's why in a lot of things that Trump does, President Trump does, I do like, because he's putting that emphasis back on God in some mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Don't know him personally. Don't know what his 
his beliefs. Yeah, and it's it's a mix. It's quite a mix, obviously, what you get from the president, the good and the bad. But yeah, listen, Brian, a couple things. Number one, of course, I I, I addressed slavery uh, in, in my opening comments for these very reasons. But let's let's just remember that in some of the founding colonies, slavery was not the way of life. That that parts of America from day one opposed slavery. And it's because of Christian roots that ultimately within a century of our independence, we overthrew it and then continue to address evil segregation and other things over periods of years. So I'm not downplaying any of this. So that's, that's why I keep saying we at no point have we been a Christian nation or fully godly, obviously. And then other groups could, could weigh in as well. But most conspicuously Native Americans yeah. and black Americans, obviously. Oh, yes. And I'm mixed but, as well. Right. As, at at, as at as the as same as time, though, sir, if you think back. Just take in the 50s in America overall, right? So you still had segregation, wicked segregation in parts of America, but we were a more family-friendly nation as a whole. We were a more innocent nation as a whole. Marriages were more stable as a whole. Right, so I'm I'm all with you on the caveats. That's why I... I say, you know, make America godly. We all agree on that. Again, you'll, you have to nuance that. So I'm, I'm with you on the, the nuancing of it. But look, pointing to God, looking to the Lord is our only hope. The other thing is that, that uh, and it's easier, look, I'm, I'm, I'm Jewish, so, so I've got my own history of, of being discriminated against and underdogs. And even, you know, we look now at Jewish people having a lot of power and influence in America but you don't have to go back that far where Jews couldn't go to a lot of universities in America or couldn't teach in oh, schools. You know, so we have our own history, not the history of slavery here, but we have our own history. But what's interesting, though, is that when you still go back to the things that cause blessing to come to America with all of our flaws and failures, they were the things that were based on Scripture. And that's what ultimately gave us a democratic republic. And that's what ultimately gave us the freedoms that we have. So if, if you kind of look at it, that we started with some really ugly baggage that was part of the European world from which we came, but through the gospel, we've overcome it and, and we keep doing better. We certainly, there's a ton more opportunity for a black American today than 50 years ago or hundred years ago. So that's their progress. There's more opportunity for women today than 50 or 100 years ago. That's progress. And then we got all the areas of negatives. That's what I was saying. If we could build on the progress and undo the regress, that's the way forward. But I'm I'm all with you on the caveats, for sure, sir. No argument there. All right. Thank you. I appreciate everything you're doing, Dr. Brown. God bless you. Thank you, sir, for weighing in. 866-34-TRUTH. And let us go. Tell you what, we're going to switch subjects. Now, you can still call in on this. Happy to talk to you about these issues, but we are going to go more broadly here. But really quickly, if you haven't read my book, Saving a Sick America, I really encourage you to get it. And I just saw on Amazon, the hardcover, like $25 hardcover was on sale for $6 earlier because I was linking to it in an article that I wrote. You'll find it really immensely helpful. And we go through all the ills in the society, one by one by one by one, and, and show you know the biggest problems from our culture of death to porn addiction to breakdown in family to the, the entitlement mentality. And we, we give scriptural principles to address each problem. So we, we look back at the past and some of our roots in a sober way. And then we look at where we are today and find an answer for each problem in the gospel and then point to the possibility of awakening. So 
Of course, order on our website if you like. Bless our ministry. But you can get the hardcover for $6 on Amazon. It's a $25 book. So go for it. I strongly encourage you to do so. All right. We are switching topics. But again, happy to come back to the MAGA theme, Make America Godly Again. Uh, let's go over to New Jersey. Dave, welcome to the line of fire. Yes, Dr. Brown. Good afternoon. How are you, sir? Doing very well. Thank you. Yes. Um, you know, normally, you know, I, I I listen to you when you're on WMCA. In this oh, area, Wednesday I'm, nights. Okay, Real I'm Messiah. Wednesday. You are yes. Muslim, Muslim Dave from New Jersey. That's correct. Yeah, all right. I remember you, buddy. Yeah, so... Dr. Brown, I have a, I have a, a question for you, and uh, you know I'm I'm asking out of you know real concern and you know a desire to really find out you know what your thinking is on this line. I often hear you refer to the Jews who don't accept Jesus as the Messiah, as the lost sheep of Israel, and my concern is that you know can you see how if if I were Jewish, and and even though I'm not Jewish, I have a concern. Can you see how a practicing Jew who observes the Shabbos, you know, um, davens every day, three times a day, um, and follows the rituals but is a decent moral human being, it makes them a mensch, as they say in Yiddish. Mm-hmm. Can, you, can you understand how, you know, someone like that who is a devout Jew would take a reference like that as backhanded anti-Semitism. You know, it, it would be like... Well, let, were... let me ask you a question, Dave, and I, I love the fact that you can articulate it the way you do, that you understand the culture and the customs and even use the right words and pronounce them correctly. But mm-hmm. let me ask you this. Is there anything anti-Semitic when that person calls me a Meshumot, an apostate, and when they use a derogatory name for Jesus himself, Jewish, they'll, they'll use a mock name for him and then maybe spit on the ground after they say it. Is there anything anti-Semitic about that? I, 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 I think it's, it's crude and it's, uh, you know, and, and it's, it's uh, vulgar, and most mainline Orthodox Jews don't act that way. Uh, but, but they would still look at me as an apostate. And and call me a Meshumot, an, an apostate, an uh, Orthodox I, Jew, an ultra-Orthodox Jew would. I don't take this anti-Semitic at all just because I'm Jewish. That's the consequence of my faith in Jesus. In other words, the fact that I'm a Jewish believer in Jesus is deeply offensive to them. The fact that I'm on radio trying to proselytize other Jews makes me not just a chote, a sinner, but a machti, someone causing others to sin. And if not mm-hmm. for the fact that I was raised in a fairly nominal home, I'd be far guiltier in their eyes. So the fact that I say to all human beings that there is no salvation outside of Jesus Yeshua, that's considered deeply offensive to a Muslim, deeply offensive to a Hindu, deeply offensive to an atheist, deeply offensive to a Jew, secular or religious. There's nothing anti-Semitic about speaking of the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I could understand it's insulting that, that they would find that as an insult. And I use that broadly, just lost sheep of the house of Israel, because that's how Jesus referred to our people scattered around the world as, as the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But the whole world is lost outside of the gospel. I, I, w- I would say that you're a part of the lost Muslim world, uh, as sincere and devout and decent a person as you would be. So I could understand it's offensive to say that, just as it's offensive to say there's, there's no forgiveness outside of the cross. 
that would mean that the forgiveness you're asking for is, is not valid. That, that, that could be an insult to your religion. But in itself, there's nothing anti-Semitic about it because I'm saying Jesus is the Jewish Messiah and we as Jews need to follow him. And if we reject him, j- just like if an Orthodox Jew tells a secular Jew you're sinning against God because you reject the Torah, they're not being anti-Semitic. They may, that may be insulting to that person, but it's not anti-Semitic. You're saying as a Jew, you should follow Torah. I'm saying as a Jew, you should follow the Jewish Messiah. So it, it could be, sound insulting. Understand that. But anti-Semitic, no, I don't see that at all. Just give you, just give you my honest response. Mm-hmm. But see, what what I was thinking is, you know, if, if you take, for example, a group of um, blacks from South Africa who, you know, they they have the Zulu language. You know, I'll tell you what, Dave. Hey, listen, we're out of time. We got a break, and I got a bunch of callers to get to. But we can continue the conversation, God willing, another time. I think we've got a sports conflict with. Real Messiah this Wednesday, but we'll, we'll connect again. We'll keep talking, all right, buddy? God bless, man. Thank you. Oh, God of burning, cleansing flame, send the fire. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. I, I've got a question for you. There are some people who prophesy about America on a national level or who use scripture to point to America's downfall crash on a national level. Well, maybe they're right. Maybe they're right. But why is it then wrong to point to America's potential revival on a national level? Some people say America's doomed. And then you say, no, America can be changed through the gospel. You say, well, the gospel is just for individuals. Well, then how can you say America corporately is doomed, but that America corporately can experience change? Joan asked this question on Facebook, makes the statement, murdering full-term babies is child sacrifice and still the pulpit is silent. What can we do? What would Jesus do? Do we turn over the money tables, not contribute to it? What are Christians to continue to support the churches who refuse to call sin what it is and give our authority to the state? Example, the new abortion law in New York. Joan, be sure to join us tomorrow. I'm going to be speaking with Pastor Shane Eidelman from California about the subject of silent pulpits. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let's go over to Monique in Greensboro. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Thank you so much for taking my call. I'm going to try to talk fast, and hopefully still people will understand, because it's a two-pronged thing. So the America great again, I think, and which is why I so appreciate you as a brother in Christ so much. The core is going to have to be sincerity and not just this moral, that's wrong, they're wrong, because a lot of people say that, Christians, and they get mad about it, but the heart of it is not to that their eyes would be open. It's just they're aggravating them because they're doing all this sin. So hopefully that makes sense. We're going to have to be sincere in our seeking. If we get sincere in our seeking, then I think there'll be an obvious result, just like the slavery and Jim Crow and all the de facto stuff that went on right under the people's nose as they're walking to church, and, and they didn't really see the evil of it. They didn't really see the evil of it. And so we're going to have to be sincere sincere to see it. Um, So that goes for that. This is totally 
the other thing, which also sincerity, you mentioned yesterday about healing and why didn't some people get healed real quick. I'm on dialysis. I have been for eight and a half years. I've seen much healing. I've witnessed the power of God very clearly. And yet I stood there about to get a transfusion the next day and did not get healed, you know, and still I'm walking that. So I just wanted to say I don't know why it happens. I'm glad you had enough courage and, again, sincerity to say, well, what about the people that weren't healed? Because I think a lot of people are afraid of that question, and they just skip it. And then that can lead to a lot of uh, disillusionment to the believer that was walking with God. Well, why didn't I get healed? Well, then that must mean this, 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 and this. So I think sincerity is at the core of any real change, and we have to be honest with ourselves about what we believe and and do we really care that much? Well, it's bad that yeah. they're suffering, but you know it doesn't bother me. And they are kind of weird anyway, and that that kind of stuff. We've got to yeah. be sincere. How, how deep? Yeah, and 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 Monique, appreciate your your stand, your heart. You did well. You got it out quickly, but we were able to follow you. <laughs> and and may God may God answer your prayers as you continue to cry out to Him. But yes, a, a lot of times God. I believe that as Americans one of the the negatives in our society is superficiality that we are so busy and we are so scattered and and we are so digitally addicted and and we are so our attention span is so short that with that our convictions are skin deep and and in order to see change you're absolutely right there there must be a deeper sincerity that's costly it's costly it's costly when you let things in your heart that burden you that that keep you up at night, wake you up in the morning because you're burdened, because you're concerned. Uh, see, a lot of times my life's good. Everything's good. Everything's okay. My family's okay. Business is okay. Church is okay. And I'm glad things are okay. I'm glad that they're good. That's positive. Thank God. But a lot of times just, oh, we're all right. And yeah, that's wrong. That's wrong. I don't like that. And And it's skin deep. We need the burden of the Lord and that drives us to our knees and it drives us to repentance in our own lives. And it, it drives us to do the difficult things and to reach out and, and to overcome the obstacles and, and to make a difference by God's grace in this world. You're absolutely right. 866-34-TRUTH. Phone lines are open for anything you want to talk to me about. Any subject under the sun. If you'd normally call with a question on a Friday Phone lines are open. God willing, Thursday evening, I'm leaving for Israel. Can't wait to be on the tour. Those that are going to be on the tour, it's going to be an awesome, awesome time together in the Lord. We've got a special broadcast already prepared for you on Friday where I'm answering some fabulous questions that were posted on on Facebook. So be sure not to miss the Friday broadcast. But I won't be taking your calls live Friday. So if you want to call in today, phone lines are open, 866-348-7888. Eight eight four. Uh, let's go over to. <laughs> All right. Hey, Eric in Canada. I know you tried to get through yesterday with your question. I answered it. I answered it on the air. I saw you had a question. I answered it in terms of the apostles and do we have the same authority as apostles today? Are you trying to get through again today and maybe can't hold? But if you do listen to yesterday's show, I, I did answer it. And if we just lost you, you get back through. That's good. All right, let's go to Alex in Virginia. Welcome to the line of fire. Hey, Dr. Brown, can you hear me? I can hear you. All right, well, I'm going to ask my question because I'm at work, and then I'm going to get back to work, and I'll listen to your answer later. All right, sounds good. Sounds good. Go for it. 
All right, so in Isaiah 65, verse 17, God yeah. says he's creating a new heavens and a new earth. Yeah. But as you go down to verse 20, it says that there will still be death and sin. How can that be? Yes, sir. So uh, what happened is when I debated Mike Sullivan, a full preterist who believes we're living in the New Jerusalem now, that we're living in a resurrected state spiritually, there'll be no physical resurrection and no physical return of Jesus, and that there, we are already living in the time when there is no death and no pain and no sorrow. Uh, yeah, uh, mind-bogglingly, unscriptural, impossible interpretation. Uh, one of the, the most severe errors of the full preterist position this would be a passage that he'd point to. You see, Isaiah 65, 17 speaks of a new heavens and a new earth. And in it, it still speaks of sin in the future or people dying in the future. And the best explanation for that is that the prophet merges together the vision, the vision of the millennial kingdom in which God will be reigning in righteousness over the earth through Jesus in Jerusalem. And yet there will still be the possibility of sin and people will still die, but it will be a time of unparalleled righteousness and blessing on the earth, and the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the Lord has covered the seas, that Isaiah is merging that together with the final picture of God's heavenly kingdom. And you, you have passages that merge together the first and second coming of Jesus. Passage like Isaiah 52, 13 through 15, speaks of his high exaltation, but first his suffering and death, without the understanding that ultimately this is going to unfold over a period of a couple thousand years. So there are other passages like that that merge together first and second coming of Jesus. And in the same way here, Isaiah seems to merge together the millennial picture of Isaiah 11 and the future new heavens and new earth that are spoken of, for example, in Revelation chapter 21, 22. Remember also, for example, that, that uh, Jesus says about the angels that they don't marry, they're not given in marriage, and then in the age to come that we won't be marrying or given in marriage. So my colleague Steve Alton, who moderated the debate with Michael Sullivan, asked him afterwards, well, what do you do with that passage? If we're ready in the age to come and there's no marrying or giving in marriage— and what do you do with the fact that we're still marrying, giving marriage? He said, well, no, we're not doing it in the old covenant sense. We're not marrying, giving marriage in the old covenant sense, but only in the, uh, to me, that's, that, that is beyond eisegesis. That, that's just inventing new ways of reading the Bible to fit a, a terribly flawed, erroneous theology, that of full preterism. So Isaiah 65 is a text that's used to argue for it. What we have to do is look at the larger picture of Scripture, see how it fits in, and then ask just, Ask anyone, are we living in the New Jerusalem where there's no, no more tears, no more sighing, no more mourning, no more death? The answer is no, no. So pretty simple there. But thank you, Alex. It's a great question. I appreciate it. 866-34-TRUTH. We are jumping right over to Fort Worth, Texas. Jack, welcome to the line of fire. Hi, Dr. Brad. How are you today? Doing well, thanks. Hey, I had a question. Last week, uh, or maybe a week ago, you brought up uh, something Andy Stanley had published about um, the Old Testament not applying to Christians today. I, I caught the tail end of that uh, segment, and I just wanted to see if you could clarify your position on, on that. I want yeah, to see sure, what you sure to say thing. About it. 
So I've, I've been in regular contact and dialogue with Pastor Andy. The reason I am not saying more now about his book, Irresistible, is that we are in private dialogue about it. Okay. And as lo- no, I'm, I'm going to answer your question, though, but I just oh. want to say more broadly why I haven't said more about his book, Irresistible, or shared some of my differences in greater depth. It's because he and I are in, in private interaction in a very mutually respectful way. So as long as the door is open for that, I'm going to pursue that rather than stand up here and, 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 and voice my strong differences. That being said, I can say that I differ very strongly with a, a, a major message of the book that the newness of what Jesus brought basically does away with the old or that when yep. Jesus said a new commandment, I give you that he was then doing away with the previous 613. I don't think anyone would have heard him as saying that. And through the new covenant, the righteous requirements of the law are written in our heart. Now, Pastor Stanley would absolutely say, of course, we don't commit adultery. Of course, we don't steal. Of course, we don't uh, commit idolatry. And, and of course, Christians would debate what about the Sabbath commandment? Where does that fit? So he had said that the 10 commandments don't apply to Christians today. So why are we building a monument to the 10 commandments? Let's build a monument to the Sermon on the Mount. So I answered that in an article by saying, well, Sermon on the Mount's a lot lot larger to print for a monument than the 10 commandments. Uh, But let's great. Let's live out the Sermon on the Mount. That's a lot tougher than the 10 commandments. We can only do it with, with supernatural grace. So I, I deeply differ. He came on my show and, and he, and he said, it wasn't the best word to say we should unhitch from the old Testament. So we know that through the cross, something brand new happens. That's never happened before, but in my view, and and stay, we'll we'll finish on the other side of the break. It brings to realization and fullness that which the old Testament told us to anticipate. So it keeps going on with that vision and building and expanding instead of, brings it to such a climax that that it's as if the old is done. That's why I still see a clear future for Israel. That's why I see Israel today as part of fulfillment of prophecy, because God's continuing to bring to pass what he promised. But I say that with all respect for Pastor Andy. I, I believe he loves the Lord and wants to reach the lost. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire. We've opened the phone lines again for your questions on all subjects. If you've not yet watched Our last two Consider This videos, Is It Too Late for America? And why don't more pastors speak out? I really encourage you to check them out. You'll be riveted from the first minute to the last. You'll find them helpful, edifying, encouraging, and challenging. And then let me be your voice. Share them with others. And if you go to our website, askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org, forward slash Consider This, You can find our first six videos all there. And if you can help us with a one-time gift to make more of these videos, that would be awesome. So Jack in Fort Worth, again, without saying more, uh, I do understand why some people are very upset and consider what what Pastor Stanley is teaching heretical. And and again, we've interacted very candidly, candidly about it. My hope is that through further interaction and through further exploring God's promises to Israel 
and what Jesus meant when he said that he didn't come to that he didn't come to abolish but to fulfill there's a difference right. between the two in other words if by so fulfilling that the the everything that came before it is obsolete then you did abolish right and, and you know what i would say uh, dr brown uh, and i and i haven't read dr stanley's book so i'm not going to speak to that um I have heard some of his teachings, and, and I'm fairly familiar with some, you know, you know, <clears throat> more of a contextual, not so much of a content mm-hmm. base of where he's coming from. And what I would say is that, you know, Jesus also talked about putting, you can't put new wine in the old wineskins, and, and, and you can't sew a new piece of garment onto an old piece of torn cloth. Yep. And so what I believe uh, Jesus is talking about there is like, hey, I've come to fulfill the law that you could ever fulfill, Dr. Brown, or I could never fulfill, or any listeners for that matter. Now, hey, the, the, I guess the words that stuck out to me the most when you posed the question a few weeks ago was, was simply this, like, do, do the Ten Commandments apply to Christians? Now, I define a Christian, or, or really more as a disciple of Jesus, okay? It's a, you, you can define Christian kind of however you want. It's kind of a a word that kind of simply means like little crust, you know, or, or whatever. Right. Uh, but, 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 but that, yeah, the disciple, if you yeah. call someone a disciple, that is a very narrow description of what you are. Right? You're, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And so, right. so to be a follower of Christ, you are now brought into the fold, covered by the blood. Your sins are washed away, uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit. You're, 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 everything inside you is different. Everything's new, and, and he's come to make all things new. We know that. You know, I believe as Christians, right? I'll call that Christian. That's how I'm going to define a yeah. Christian. Hey, hey Jack, Jack, um, t- 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 tell you what, just, uh, I know you got a lot on your heart to share here, but just let, let me, let me bottom line a, a few things. That a major point in Andy Stanley's book is that you can't pour new wine into old wineskins. So there have to be new wineskins, and those are the wineskins of the cross and the wineskins of the gospel, and that changes things dramatically. Of course it changes things dramatically. But remember, you can put old wine in new wineskins, and if the new wineskins are so new that they're no longer wineskins, then they're not functioning properly. So a lot of it is how things are being worded. Again, I take strong, deep exception to what's taught in much of irresistible. Some of the statements Pastor Stanley knows I categorically differ with and reject, but he's a brother in the Lord with a heart for the Lord. And I believe a love for the word. And I'm hoping through interaction that I can get him to modify his position. He understands that. And if not, then I'll shout from the rooftops that he hasn't. But not a threat. I mean, just our interaction is is such that as long as the door is open, uh, and, and look, uh, a, a younger colleague of mine, Messianic Jewish leader, met with him. He graciously gave him a few hours of time. They had some great fellowship together. And uh, so when I have someone with openness like that, humility like that, he's got a big enough platform. Yeah, I've got a platform, but he's got a massive platform in terms of influence over pastors. He could say, hey, who's Mike Brown? I don't want to deal with him. But the door's open. I commend him for that. I appreciate that. And he doesn't want me saying this, but I'm saying it anyway. So as long as that door's open, I'm going to continue to share my deep differences with the hope that I can get him to shift his views on this. All right. That's the goal. All right. Thank you, Jack. God bless. I appreciate it. 866-34-TRUTH. 
Uh, let's go to Colorado. Chad, welcome to the line of fire. Oh, hello, Dr. Brown. Uh, hello. My question is about um, a verb in Isaiah 53.5, and I yep. believe it's halal. Uh-huh. Uh, the basic meaning is pierced or wounded. But according to one lexicon, uh, the halal form means struck dead. Uh, the, the reference given in the lexicon is uh, Numbers 1916, where it's used killed by a sword. So my question is, in Isaiah 53.5, it's a pu'al participle, meaning was pierced, but does it or can it carry the meaning of fatally pierced? In other words, does the subject of the verb get killed? Yeah, it, it uh, okay, you don't want to translate it killed because there are other verbs you could have used to say killed. Uh, elsewhere, it says he's cut off from the land of the living. Elsewhere, it speaks of his death. So it's clear that the servant dies. But uh, to, to, to translate it beyond pierced uh, or, or synonym for that would be going too far. For example, you, you have what's called the, the, the PL in, in Ezekiel 24, 21. So that would be the active form, right? And, and God says that, that he is going to, uh, excuse me, that's, sorry, diff- different verb there. That's to profane, same, same root. Uh, letters, but, yeah, same route, uh, to right. profane. So skip that. I just clicked it, and I thought didn't come to mind initially. That's why. But to if 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 you are pierced with a sword through your heart, you're killed, right? So yeah. so if, for example, with Zimri and Cosby in Numbers twenty five, when they're pierced through the gut with the with a spear, they're both killed. Mm-hmm. They're pinned to the wall. They're killed. So yeah, I here someone could be shot. Someone shot, many people who are shot are killed, but not everyone who is shot is killed. So if they said, you'll be shot, if you go out on the street, you'll be shot, maybe killed. But to translate it with killed would be going too far. Same with pierced. Yeah. Got it? I and agree. just so, yeah, just so you understand. Translate it that way. Well, you know, you but don't want to translate it killed, for sure. But, because, but would you, when, when preaching or teaching on this text, bring out that meaning or that not to be a legitimate uh no 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 be- because there. it just so happens that that particular usage there okay the piercing there is one that was deadly in other words this right. is here I'll, I'll just do a quick uh quick search here and this is going to merge a few things right the the verb doesn't occur all that many times it's it's not a mm-hmm. common verb so if you had it 50 times and every time it was in the pu'al, every time it was in this, this passive intensive form, that in every case it meant to kill, then you could say something. But you've only got a handful of, of such right. references. Uh, and because of that, you, you absolutely uh, don't want to uh, read too much into it. And by the way, it, it, doesn't occur, um, uh, it, it doesn't occur in Numbers 25 with Zimri and Cosby. They're, they're piercing it. Where did you say you found the, the verb elsewhere? Number- Numbers nineteen sixteen. Yeah. Uh, anyone out in the field touches someone that's been killed with a sword. Uh, yeah, but that's uh, yeah, but that's not the, that's that's yeah. not the same, right? Uh, but that's that's not uh, that's that's not the same form of the verb there. Anyway, right? Okay. It's it's, okay. it's different. Yeah. So that's it's reading no, it's a different form, indeed. Right. It's reading too much into it, uh, but that's just the way of you know. It's literally pierced or struck by a sword. It's a great question. I appreciate it, but definitely reading too much into it to say, and when it says pierced, it definitely means killed. It could well mean killed, but it doesn't have to. 866-34-TRUTH, 
Let's go to Aaron in Portland, Oregon. Welcome to the line of fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. Uh, quick hey. question for you. Is, can, I, can you give me some perspective on you know what a Christian's relationship with television should be? Is it wrong to watch world, you know, the world shows? or just Help me have wisdom about television. I, I have one, but I just don't know. You know, yeah, well, te- television is, is a small part of the problem now because there's so much on Internet. You can watch so much on Internet that you can't even watch on television. And most of what's on television, you can watch on Internet. So just look at it like this. If it's defiling, if it leads you into sin, into temptation, if it leads you into spiritual confusion or darkness, then it's best to stay away from that, just like reading material that would do the same. Or if it's addictive and takes your time, so you end up spending hours and hours and hours and hours and hours watching news and and you don't pray anymore. You spend hours and hours and hours and hours watching sports and get obsessed with that. Yeah, those would be time wasters. But there there's plenty of programming that is just informational. There's programming, and it's fine to also watch what's happening in the news, but do it with a filter. Do it so you don't get obsessed with it, but you can get informed. But I, I just for me, I don't watch TV news at all. I just read news. That's how I get my information, by reading news. Uh, this works well for me and is, is faster for me. And I don't need as much commentary. To, I'll, I'll come up with my own commentary. Let me just see what's happening. And, and there are times, yeah, I'll, to, I'll, I'll be writing for hours and hours, and, and then it's maybe it's a, a Sunday afternoon and I haven't ministered and it's a rest day and I could watch some sports and relax. It's got to be worked out in everyone's own life. For years, we didn't even have a TV in our house as we were raising our kids. We found that was best. But if it defiles, if it steals your time, stay away. If it can be used constructively in in a way that's informative or a way that brings relaxation, great. In days ahead, though, we got some recommendations for you as to Christian entertainment. We'll be talking more in the days ahead.